Well, thank you, Luke, Claire, Saskia, Libby. But thank you, Lord, for your presence. We're so grateful, Father, for your presence amongst us. And Father, as I speak now, we pray, Father God, that your presence will be with each of us, that you will invade our homes, that we will experience heaven on earth because that is your heart and your passion for us. Amen. Well, good morning or good afternoon or good evening, depending on when you're watching this. Um, I'm Charlie and I'm part of the Chanctonbury Healing Centre team. And I'm going to follow on from what Patrick said last week. And he spoke about the nature of God. And understanding the nature of God is absolutely crucial as we come to this topic of healing. We need to know he's a good, good father. He's dependable. He's consistent. And I'm going to look at two questions. Firstly, does he always want us well? And secondly, how do we react? What do we do if we minister to someone and nothing appears to change? But before I go into those two questions, I've asked Libby if she will come and just share what's happened in the last hour for her. So um, before worship, we had a prayer session as a team and we prayed for anyone who had something wrong with them and for about three and a half weeks I've been unable to bend my left knee I've been unable to um, kneel down on it um, and it's been incredibly painful um, and we prayed and I just had uh, a word from God whilst we were praying that I needed to sing through it and obviously I've just done worship and sung through it and after getting off the stage, uh, Charlie asked me how my knee was and I bent down and there was no pain and then I bent down again and there was no pain and then I started jumping around and there was still no pain and so yeah, God has completely healed my knee through the worship session and through the prayer. So praise Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Show us. Show us. Oh. See? And <laughs> <Bend>. woo! <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. Well, thank you, Libby, so much, uh, both for worship and then for sharing that. There's the power of God, it's the presence of God. Isn't that wonderful? So I'd love now actually to release that over all of us wherever we are. Psalm 107 verse 20 says that God sent forth his word and he healed them. So let's reflect on what Libby's just said and let's realise the word of God is released to bring healing. That's his heart. So wherever you are, if you have any pain in your body, let's just focus now on the wonder that God releases his word to heal. And as I go through this morning, we're going to look at lots of scripture declaring the goodness of God and how much he wants us well. And I encourage you, just let those words of scripture, God's words, soak over you and receive your healing as I speak.
the first time I did that, it was kind of scary. I was doing a talk similar to this and I felt God say, tell people to expect to be healed as my word goes out. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, I can sort of do a talk and stop, but that's kind of, it either did or didn't happen. And as I spoke, there was a guy in the front. I watched him. He was testing out again. It was a knee. He kept testing his knee. And about half of the talk, he went, I can move my knee again. So let's see this not as, just as a talk, but as a practical opportunity to experience the healing power of God invade our lives and our bodies. So just to start then with a little tiny bit of background, um, why did... Jenny and I start pursuing God's truth for healing simply because Jenny was broadly bedbound. She was in and out of hospital. She was in and out of doctor's surgeries. Nobody quite knew what was wrong. She had virtually no strength. We called the elders of the church. That's what we told to do in James 5. They'd anointed her with oil. They prayed. Nothing had happened. And we had to grapple with what is going on. We think we've done what we're supposed to do, but we haven't seen the healing. And so we realized, oh, we need to know, God does, want, God, does God want Jenny well or does he want her to learn how to suffer well? And we didn't actually know the answer. So we needed to dig down into scripture. Why did we need to dig into scripture? Because the word of God is the one reliable, unchanging, consistent source of truth. Our feelings are hopelessly unreliable. We can be up one moment, down the next. Don't trust our feelings. Our friends are wonderful and we're the best will in the world. They'll encourage us. But when the chips are down, what a friend has said isn't a truth on which we can rest. But God is consistent and unchanging. Jesus himself said the scripture cannot be broken. So if Jesus says scripture is reliable, we're in a pretty good place. And I love the uh, comment by Luke in Acts 17, when he says about the Bereans, he says they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they heard what Paul said and they sought the scriptures daily to see if it was true. So they were digging deep into scripture and that was considered to be noble. So let's be noble and dig into scripture. And that one other verse actually, which I just find extraordinary, Psalm 138, David says of God, you've exalted your word above your name that's challenging how exalted in my life is the word of God does it have preeminence why am I laboring this I'm laboring this because I see around us a culture where we deconstruct everything and I want to say deconstruct lies absolutely but let's be very careful that we don't deconstruct truth by mistake because it's the truth that sets us free. And God's word is truth. And we'll come back to that at the end. So let's look. What does the word of God say about healing? That's what we need to know. Genesis is clear. God set everything up and it was very good. And Adam and Eve could have eaten of the tree of life and lived forever. So God never envisaged death. That was not in his plan. But the fall happened and sickness and sin arrived but God's plan for health didn't change he said in Exodus 15 if you will walk in my ways I will keep you free from all the diseases that were on the Egyptians 
Why? Because I am the Lord, your healer. That is who he is. It's an integral part of his nature to heal. Deuteronomy 7 is really clear. Again, if you pay attention to my laws, the Lord will keep his covenant of love with you. The Lord will keep you free of all disease. And then numbers. I love this story in numbers. Do you remember that the Israelites had sinned? Snakes had come into the camp. They were biting people. People were dying. And Moses came before God and said, what do we do? And God said, make an image of one of these snakes and put it on a pole. And whoever looks at that serpent on the pole will be healed. So Moses did that. He put the serpent up. And what happened? Everyone was forgiven and healed. Jesus said in John 3, just as Moses lifted up that serpent, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he saying? He's saying that he will become sin for us. That's what we're told. He became sin for us who knew no sin so that we become the righteousness of God. So Jesus is saying, look at what happened in the desert. A model of the problem was put on the pole and you looked to the pole, you looked to the serpent on the pole and you were healed. I, Jesus, will be lifted up. I have become the problem. I've taken your sin. I've taken your sickness. Everyone who looks to me will be forgiven and healed. Beautiful picture in Numbers 21, looking forward to Jesus. We get the same picture in 2 Chronicles 7, um, when God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal the land. There's a constant theme running through that forgiveness and healing run hand in hand. Psalm 103, he forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. Do we believe that he forgives all my sins? Yes, we do. Well, then we kind of have to believe he heals all my diseases. That's really good news. Proverbs, the prognosis is incredible. You know, my commands will prolong your life many years. Um, a while back, I had, I had damaged my back and someone said, you need to go and see this chiropractor and it was a lovely person, but he told me all the things that were going to be wrong with my back if I didn't go regularly to the chiropractor. And the next day I started to read Proverbs and I went, oh, hang on, I prefer this prognosis. And so I thought, I'm going to run with this one. This one says that if I fear the Lord and shun evil, it'll bring health to my body and nourishment to my bones. Oh, that's what my back needs. And that was many years ago. And praise God, his word is reliable. So God's heart for our healing did not change with the fall. He simply said, if you walk in my ways, you will walk in my health. But then, then Isaiah prophesies and he says, someone's going to come who's going to carry your sicknesses and carry your diseases. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He took what we deserved and released to us what he, the pure spotless son of God, deserved he released us upon us, the peace of God. 
Now let's just pause. You might want to close your eyes and just let this soak over you. Because peace in English, while it means there's not too many problems around, peace in Hebrew is just altogether awesome. So this is what it means. It means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, prosperity, rest, harmony. So right now I release the truth of that into your homes. The shalom of God. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Completely well on every level. I release that over your homes. And if at the beginning of this you felt there was something wrong in your body, check it out now. Receive the peace of God. So through the Old Testament we have this conditionality. If you walk in my ways, then you walk in my health. But then the prophetic word that there will come someone who will carry the stuff for us and we will be set free. So let's look at the New Testament. Well, what's happening? Well, Jesus will save his people from their sins. And again, we can brush over that, but what does that mean? That Greek word sozo means to save, heal, and deliver. It means we're going to be made whole. This picture of what God wants to release is shalom. Jesus is the one who does that for us. And indeed, the angels talk about the fact peace to his people on earth. That's a prophetic word. This is what is happening. God's shalom is being released. And Luke 19 tells us that the Son of Man came to Soto, save he'll deliver those who were lost. So what does Soto mean? It means to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, to save from disease, to make well, to heal, to restore to health and to save from judgment. That is why Jesus came. This huge wholeness released for all of us. That's why healing is such a huge part of his ministry, because he wants us well on every level. Uh, a while back, I was talking to a business contact of mine who was a Jew. And I was talking to him about how in the church we, we've tended to split the stuff up and we talk about salvation and healing and deliverance as sort of three separate things. And he looked at me with incredulity and just went, no, sorry, in a Jewish mindset, that doesn't happen. You're either well or you're not well. Let's not make any false distinctions. Jesus came to make us whole. Beautifully summed up by Luke in Acts that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed by the devil. That's what he did. He went and released the kingdom through his life. But now, what did he do through his death? You see, the old covenant was conditional. And we have a terrible temptation to slip back into it and think I'm not well because I'm not very good. Okay, let's work with that. Old covenant, if you walk in my ways, then you walk in my health. New covenant, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're set free. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. And this verse I mentioned a moment ago, this is mind-blowing, this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, that's Jesus, sin for us, who knew no sin, so that we, now the NIV says might become, which leaves a sort of question of how much do I have to do to get there? That's not what the Greek says. It's altogether more wonderful. 
He made him who had no sin become sin for us so that we become. That's the transaction. We become the righteousness of God. Do we realize who we are? What does that mean? If I'm the righteousness of God, what does that mean? That means all the conditionality of the old covenant is met in Christ. And all these promises that had conditions on them become unconditional, received through faith. The power of sin and the power of sickness was broken 2,000 years ago on the cross. We have been set free. Or as Colossians puts it, we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. And how much sickness is in the kingdom of the son he loves? I don't think there's any. But we agree with that. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ. And we say, yes, that's true. <clears throat> but it also says, and so we add our amen to the praise of his glory. So what is happening here is that all the promises are there for us in Christ. But we add our yes to that. We add our amen to that. In other words, we align ourselves with those truths and they become reality. So Jesus has taken all of our sickness and our sin on the cross 2,000 years ago. What does he then do? He sends the disciples out, tells them to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the gospel. What do they do? They do that. What do they find? It works. Right at the end of Acts in Malta, we're told that Paul prayed for all the sick and they were all healed. So what does that mean that we're being told? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So first of all, the disciples had to teach their disciples to heal the sick, but they also had to teach them to teach their disciples to heal the sick, do you see? So there's a cascade that runs down and this was heaven's heart. That as Jesus came and broke the power of sin and sickness, there was a cascade through those early disciples to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation until it comes to our turn and we're commanded, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, preach the gospel. That command is also for us. So healing then flows on through all the generations until in Revelation, we have no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. So let's then just demolish any suggestions that we're meant to stay ill. And I'm just going to pick, I'm going to mention a few questions and a couple of examples. If some people are supposed to remain ill, why did Jesus never say this? Why did he never model that? I mean, that's really unhelpful of him to model healing everyone if his plan was that we wouldn't. That's not fair. And it's actually really misleading. But also, why did he tell us to heal the sick if his plan was that some would remain ill? That's a kingdom divided against itself. That doesn't work. Why did he tell us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? 
There's no sickness in heaven. Why did he tell us to pray that if that wasn't his will? It's really clear. He wants us to be releases of the kingdom, releases of wholeness wherever we go. And I think he had a number of great opportunities to show people that not everyone should get healed. And he blew them all. The blind man wasn't immediately healed. He could have said, hey, mate, you're seeing men like trees walking. That's pretty cool. You couldn't see anything before. I guess that's all God's got for you until you've learned a few more lessons. No, 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 no. He healed him. The demon-possessed boy, they've just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll look at this in a moment. The disciples couldn't heal him. Jesus could have said, ah, well, you forgot to ask whether I wanted to heal this one. No, he healed him. The leper who said, if it is your will, this was a great opportunity for him to commend the leper for such a great question. You know, it's really important. Always ask me if it's my will before you ask for healing. He didn't. He just said, yes, it's my will. Be healed. Canaanite woman. That's a dream. The Canaanite woman was not in the covenant. Here's a great opportunity to show that I don't heal everyone, except that he did. And then Jairus' daughter, maybe it's too late. She's died. I got held up on the way. There was this woman with an issue of blood. She touched my cloak. Sorry, too late. No, never too late for Jesus. And now there's a really key point coming back to this truth of the importance of the word. Jesus heard two words. One was from the mourners. She is dead. But he heard a different word from heaven. She is sleeping. He walked in alignment with heaven's word and heaven's truth became reality and she was raised up. So he had opportunities to model that healing wasn't for everyone, but he chose not to. So it seems to me scripture is completely clear. From start to finish, God has a plan for our health. He wants us fully well. He is a good father. So Father, this is just, we just ask you just to wash off us any disappointments, any feeling that you might not want us well, that it might be for other people, but not for us. Lord, we look back at the cross 2,000 years ago and we remember and say, thank you, Lord. You carried all our sickness. You carried all our sin. We are set free. That is our inheritance. We're in the kingdom of the Son of God. So what are the implications of all this? Well, firstly, obviously, that we're meant to be well. John 10.10 says that it's the devil who comes to kill, still, and destroy. Don't let's attribute that to God. That is not his nature. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and life in all its fullness. So secondly, the issue then is not about whether God wants to release healing. That was done 2,000 years ago. The issue is how do I appropriate what is already mine in Christ? Thirdly, If health has already been won for me, I must not see myself as a sick person trying to get well. I'm not. I'm a fully healthy person who's been robbed of my health. That's a very different mindset and really important. Fourthly, Jesus' command was not to pray for the sick. He tells us to heal them. This is uncomfortable. 
if his command was to pray for the sick and I have a crack and nothing happens, that's a pity. If he tells me to heal the sick, well, firstly, I have to have a crack at it because it's a command. Secondly, if they don't get well, I need to go back to him and find out, what did I miss, Lord? In other words, I think this tells me I have a responsibility to grapple with this truth. And fifthly, we can command healing because I don't need to go, God, if it's your will, I know his will. It's completely clear. So now we can command healing. Actually, a better translation of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven if it is actually kingdom of God come, will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are actually commands rather than pleas. We release, we declare, we command healing. And, and you know, if you watch any of the 8 p.m. Sunday healing streams, um, and you will see Patrick and Philly or James and Susie, whoever's leading, you will see that they're not pleading. They're commanding, they're declaring. They may be telling people to do something like Jesus often did as a prophetic act, but they're not pleading, they're commanding. So, God wants everyone well. Jesus has already carried all our sin and sickness. He's already transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son he loves, where there is no sickness. He's told us that we will do everything Jesus did and more. He's filled us with resurrection power, we're told in Ephesians, for the task. He sent his Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. What could possibly go wrong? And that is the challenge. Because sometimes we minister to people and we don't see anything happen. How are we going to react? The first thing I want to say is that we can minister to people sometimes and initially nothing happens. It doesn't mean that nothing has happened. So let's take Libby, who we've heard from earlier on. When we um, all prayed for her um, before the worship time, as far as I'm aware, nothing had changed. At the end of the worship time, her knee was completely healed. So let's not assume that because we've not seen something, nothing's happened. That actually isn't the case. Um, little example here. I was in one of the local supermarkets and I noticed as I went to pay that the lady on the till had both um, wrists bandaged up. And I said, oh, um, what's up with your wrists? And she said, I've got carpal tunnel syndrome. I have to have both operated on in a few weeks' time. And I said, oh. I looked behind her, nobody in the queue behind me. So I said, oh, would it be all right if I prayed for you? And she went, yes, which is always great. Generally, people say yes. So she said, yes. I prayed for her. I felt extremely self-conscious in the middle of the supermarket. Um, so I have no idea what I prayed. I'm sure it finished with, in Jesus' name, amen, but I don't know. Um, and, you know, said something friendly to her, I hope, and left. And didn't happen to go back to that supermarket for a while. But when I did go back a couple of months later, I happened to be with the same um, checkout lady. And I noticed there were no bandages on her wrist. So I said, oh, how's it going with your wrist? She said, they're fine. I didn't need the operation. Now, that was four years ago, and I've seen her often since then. And she remembers that we prayed and she didn't need the operation. The point I'm making, though, is that after I'd prayed for her, there was absolutely no change at all. But the healing had been released. 
However, there are times when we minister to people and there really is no change. So what are we going to do? And this is quite tricky to talk about because there is no model in scripture for how we do this because scripture assumes success. Scripture assumes healing. There isn't a, oh, and there's a bunch of people who won't get well, so this is how you do it. So it's harder to work with lots of scripture. But let's go back to what we know. God desires all men to be saved, sozoed, saved, healed, delivered, made completely whole and come to knowledge of the truth. We know that. So let's not move from that. But let's now look at this under two headings. Firstly, what am I going to do to help the person who has come to me to be ministered to when nothing has happened? Actually, I want to encourage you. There's hardly ever a time when people come to the Changtree Healing Centre and nothing happens. I mean, really, you know, I'm, I think the first time I noticed when we prayed, I think for 31 people one Saturday morning. And as we shared the testimonies, every single person had encountered God in some way. They may not have been fully healed, but something had happened. So it's, it's odd for nothing to happen. But let's assume that does happen. What, what do we then do? Our core value as a team is not actually to see people healed. It's to see people know that they're loved by God more than they realised. And to see people know that we love them more than they realised. That's the top core value. We absolutely, with everything in us, want to see them healed as well, without a question. But I think that's a key priority. So we must never, ever leave people, and it's easy to do this by mistake, actually, we never leave people thinking they are the problem. They don't have enough faith. They've failed. They haven't forgiven someone. Never, ever. Every encounter must be redemptive. That's the model of Jesus. So we love them. We encourage them. Share short testimonies. Tell them that often people get healed on the way home or the next morning they wake up and they're healed. Um, Encourage them with that. Um, I think a lovely thing to do if we're not seeing anything happen is just pause and ask God, Lord, how do you see this person? And just give them a prophetic word about how God sees them because then they know that they're known and they're loved. Maybe leave them with a verse of scripture. In mentioning testimonies, because it was all done 2,000 years ago, your testimony is the declaration to me that I will also receive what you've received. Because God has no favourites. He did it all then. So we share testimonies to encourage people to realise not that the other person was special, but they were all special to him. What he's done for one, he'll do for another because he did it already. What one person therefore can receive, so can another receive. So that's how we love them well. We never leave them thinking they're the problem. But what do we then do? Well, Matthew 17 is good to unpack on this. It's the closest I can get to a story of someone not being healed. Do we just shrug our shoulders and say on to the next one? No, we don't. Compassion drives us to action. It has to. But Matthew 17, they've come down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there's a boy there who's got some demonic thing going on and the disciples have had a crack and the father comes up and says, your disciples had to go and they couldn't do it. So what was God's will? Well, what did Jesus do? He healed him. 
So failure, although I hate that word, does not mean God didn't want to heal. Failure just means we've got some more to learn. It's really critical. God's heart hadn't changed. Jesus healed him. Second, I just want to look at what had happened to the boy in between the disciples having a crack and Jesus healing him. And the answer is nothing. Why is that important? Because we're quite good at putting stuff onto the person we're praying for and saying that unless you resolve this, you won't get healed. Now, I totally recognize there's times when we choose forgiveness and healing flows instantly, and that's wonderful. But what Jesus modeled was that what he carried overran all of that, and people simply got healed. So firstly, let's not create a theology of passivity, where I just move on to the next one and don't mind. That's not what Jesus modeled. And secondly, let's not create theologies as to why people weren't healed. Jesus said, heal the sick. That's the command. He didn't tell us to place the responsibility on the person who didn't get healed. So that's what Jesus did. Now, what did the disciples do? Well, Mark's account says they were arguing about the whole problem. That's a really bad place to be. We're never going to find the answer by arguing with each other. The answer is always in Jesus. Colossians tells us that all the wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. And where are we? We're in Christ. So, hey, we have wisdom and knowledge all around us because we're in Christ. So what did the disciples do? Now, here's the key point. They didn't change their theology to match their experience. They asked for help to change their experience. The disciples' experience was God didn't heal. Well, actually, no, it wasn't. That's how we word it. Their experience was, why couldn't we do it? What's going on here? Well, they'd already been given power to do it. They'd been told, you have authority, now go out and do this stuff. So they recognised the issue is not on God's side. I've been given authority to do this, but it hasn't worked. What's going on? So they asked the right question. The wrong question is, God, why aren't you doing this? The right question is, God, why am I not managing to tap into what you have already released from heaven for me? They went privately to Jesus. Why? Well, I think probably because they knew they were supposed to have been able to do this. But what happens when we ask God questions? We get answers. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives it freely. Proverbs tells us all the way through that we must seek wisdom. God is God who reveals things to us. Let's not live in the untruth of it's all a mystery. There may be lots of stuff that's a mystery. But God wants to reveal stuff and teach us and train us. So we ask questions of him. And what did he say in answer? Well, he said to the disciples, because of your lack of faith or your little faith, not the boy's lack of faith, nor the father's lack of faith, the disciples' lack of faith. Let's... let's address like a faith to us who are ministering never to those of whom we're praying now this word little faith is interesting because we can look at it in two ways we can either look at it in a sort of works driven oh I don't have enough faith how do I get more faith 
which I think is not correct in this context, it can also mean lack of persistence. In other words, the shortness of your faith. Are we going to persevere? And as I've reflected on that, it suddenly clarified for me that story in Luke 18. Do you remember where the, the widow, well, the parable is, is introduced by Jesus saying, he taught them this parable to the end that they would pray and not give up, perseverance. Um, then the widow bashes on the door of the judge to get what she needs and he finally caves in. And it finishes with, and when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? And I've always read that. What's that got to do with the story? <laughs> the story's about persistence, not about faith. What, 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 there's a disconnect here. What's going on? Ah, well, I think this story in Matthew 17 gives us the answer. Because if Jesus is saying to the disciples, it's because of the shortness of your faith. He didn't keep going. He didn't keep aligning with heaven and agreeing with the truth of heaven for long enough. That then makes sense of that parable. We're called to pray and not give up. We're called to align with heaven and keep aligned with heaven. Why does this matter? Hebrews 4, and this starts to get uncomfortable. <laughs> Hebrews 4 says that the Israelites had all the promises, but they couldn't benefit from them because they didn't mix them with faith. We can have all the promises we like, but we have to add our amen and come into alignment with heaven. Hebrews 11 in the Passion Translation is worded just beautifully, Hebrews 11.33. says, their faith, because this is at the end of all the list of all the amazing faithful people, their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. I love that. That's what faith is about. We fasten onto the promises of God and bring them into reality. And this is where I have struggled because for me, we live in a, a performance environment. All of us do. So if you start talking about faith, I start going, oh, I failed. I haven't got enough faith. Got to try harder. Got to do better. So faith becomes a stumbling block and I think that's why people often don't talk about it. I want to suggest a different word. In the Greek, the word faith has a relational aspect to it. So how about we switch it out for trust? If you tell me I need to trust more, that's not about effort. That's about me knowing the nature of the one I'm trusting and knowing what he's said. And that means just taking time with the Father and getting to know that he's incredibly reliable and taking time in the word and getting to know what he's promised, then faith grows. So back to Jesus, what's he saying? He's saying this kind, meaning the little faith, the unbelief of the disciples, this kind comes out with prayer, or depending on which translation or which gospel, with prayer and fasting. What's he saying? Because he didn't pray and fast before healing the boy. No, he's not talking about I've got a problem, I better fast and pray. No, he's talking about, I have a lifestyle of taking time with the Father. And I fast and I pray as part of that lifestyle. And out of that lifestyle flows faith and unbelief is destroyed. The more we press in, the more we will see him doing stuff. So a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, dealing with unbelief, releasing faith, now this then becomes exciting because suddenly 
I discover I don't need to say, oh, I wish I had your faith. I can go, hey, I can have your faith. I just need to get to know the Father better. And I need to get to know his word better. Then I look at his word. What does it say? It says faith comes through hearing. And that's a present continuing tense, meaning hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So are we soaking, are we deluging ourselves with the truth of the word of God? Because if we don't, the world is deluging us with all sorts of apparent truth. There's no shortage of stuff that's coming at us. What are we allowing to be the predominant truth that's coming at us? Faith comes through hearing and going on hearing. So we want to remove unbelief and we want to build faith. And this is the key to seeing more. It's all about relationship with him. So now back to our friends, the Bereans. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they heard the word from Paul with great joy and sought the scriptures daily to see if it was true. They wanted to know the truth. You've exalted your word above your name. His word is really important. It carries huge authority. So if faith is going to grow through hearing and hearing, the question that I think I'm challenged to ask is, do I exalt the word of God above everything else in my life? Let's think about this. When your bank statement arrives, do you open the envelope? Why? Because your bank statement is going to speak to you and you want it to say something nice. Okay. But what's the predominant truth in my mind? Am I going to let the bank statement tell me whether I'm being provided for or am I going to let the word of God tell me? Which carries the great authority in my life? God has said he is our provider. He said that if we seek first his kingdom, everything will be added to us. So which truth is going to dominate in my life? Or in my body, if my body starts telling me that I'm ill, the word of God tells me I'm healed. Which is going to be the predominant truth in our lives. And in a world which is deconstructing both lies and truth, it is absolutely crucial that we're anchored on the word and in truth. My parents' faith journey began with my dad, bizarrely one evening, coming back home and saying to my mum, are you prepared to stake your life on the words of a man who lived 2,000 years ago? And my mum sort of went, sorry, (laughs) what are you talking about? And he said, I'm talking about Jesus. Are you prepared to stake your life on what a man 2,000 years ago said? And she said, yes, I will. And from that moment on, they chose to put their marriage second and the word of God first in their lives. If you follow the Chanctuary Morning Thoughts, you may remember one from John 9, the blind man, told by Jesus to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I've only just realised that the pool of Siloam was apparently half a mile or so away from where Jesus was. He had two voices in his head. One said, 
This guy's rubbed mud on your eyes and is telling you as a blind person to walk half a mile and wash and you're going to see. I mean, how stupid is that? And the other voice said, this is the Messiah. I'm going to be healed. And he took Jesus at his word and he was healed. Peter getting out of the boat, he had two voices. Jesus said, come. And the wind and the waves said, we're going to get you. But he stepped out of the boat. So we have to know what the word says, know the nature of the one who said it, the loving nature of the father. And then we have to align. We add our amen and come into alignment. Quick story. Years ago, I um, overran, badly damaged my knee, was in extreme pain, could couldn't turn over at night, just searing pain going through my knee. Um, walking was really difficult. Running was certainly out of the question. I was reading a book on healing, so I was praying and expecting God to heal. And I decided I'd rest it up for six weeks. And after six weeks, I'd, I'd try again. So I went off after six weeks and I ran. And about 100 yards later, the same searing pain going through my knee. And I thought, hmm, I've been praying for six weeks and I've rested it for six weeks. And there's not a jot of difference. And then I read in this book on healing this brilliant phrase, faith is not expressed in the prayer you pray when you pray. Faith is expressed in the thoughts you think when you've finished praying. And I realised I'd been praying great prayers. But my thinking was, what a shame, I'm never going to be able to run again. So I brought my wrong thinking to God and said, I'm sorry, Lord. My thought life is out of alignment with heaven. And the knee was immediately healed. I chose to align with God. Is it going to be comfortable, this journey of faith, grappling with God's word and stepping out? No. Faith and risk go hand in hand. Each of these people I've mentioned, they took a risk. But I want to encourage us all, the Bible celebrates risk-taking. I can't find a story in scripture where someone comes before God and takes a risk, believing that God has told them to and they're reprimanded. That doesn't happen. What does happen is people who do the sensible thing and avoid risk are absolutely reprimanded, particularly the parable of the talents, for instance. So God loves risk. Why? Because God is a risk taker. He sent Jesus That is the biggest risk in the history of the universe. We could have all said no. God is a risk taker. He loves risk. Hey, we're his children. He's got our backs. So let's step out and take risk. Let's decide that the word of God is going to be the predominant influence in my life. And as we do that, and as we get to know him better, we're going to see more and more happening. So summing up, scripture paints an incredible picture, begins in Genesis with a plan for health and eternal life. The fall happens, but God puts the plan back. If you walk in my ways, you will walk in my health as well. Then he prophesies a saviour who will carry our sickness and sin so that that conditionality is met in Jesus and we have unconditional promises received through faith. 
he tells the apostles to teach this to the people they win for Christ and to teach those people to teach the next people. That cascades on through the generations until it comes to us and it's our turn to pick up the baton and release healing wherever we go. And we pass the baton on to the next generation and the next until we finish up in Revelation where there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. So let's believe this. Let's realise the baton is handed to us. Let's take that baton and go, I'm in. Let's see this happen all around us. Let's pray for more and more compassion so we cannot be passive if someone is not healed. Let's put our arms around sick people and love them incredibly well if we don't see them immediately healed. Let's walk with them. Let's take time with the Father, getting to know him so we know he's reliable, trustworthy. Let's take time in the word of God, knowing what these promises are, these exceeding great and precious promises as Peter describes them. Let's take time in the word. Let's step out in alignment with the word and take risk. But above all, let's do it together because that's how we stay encouraged. Let's rejoice when we see breakthrough and let's stand with each other and hold each other up. If we don't, we're not doing guilt and shame. We're just doing, hey, let's get better at this. That is after all the definition of Jesus receiving the reward for his sufferings. It's when we see healing and breakthrough and wholeness released all over the land. What if 2033 actually happened? What if this parish became known as a place where sickness could not survive? As James would say, boom. So let's again just recognise the presence of God. Just check your body. Have you seen healing? Not because I've spoken, no, but because God's word has just been quoted and God's word carries authority. And maybe we all just want to come before him and we say, Father, thank you for this extraordinary picture. Thank you that you sent Jesus to become sin for us so that we become the righteousness of God. Thank you that we now are called to reconcile others to you So Father, we ask you just for a new deluge of your Holy Spirit that you'd work with us, you'd give us the courage to step out and release this beautiful reconciliation with you as Father and to release the wonder of the wholeness of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.